Welcome back to Recurrent Events, Episode 8. And back with me today is Mr. Wesley Chance. Welcome back, Mr. Wesley Chance. Hey, happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's always nice to have a Friday episode. It's like a nice treat before the weekend. Um, well, so you wanted to talk today, we wanted to talk today about um, this recent uh, sort of phenomenon over at least the last three years, definitely the last two years, and definitely even the last few months of teacher strikes, unions, and their relationship to charter schools. And just to sort of lay it out there, I am, of course, a charter school teacher in California, credentialed teachers, uh, and I am a California primary credential holding teacher. You can look it up online if you want to. Um, and so this issue uh, of what's been happening in Oakland with their teachers union and the LA and, and in LA with their teachers union and recently in West Virginia, recently, recently in New York, recently um, also in, where was the other place, Wes? There's one other place. Um, West we, Virginia. Sorry. There's a big one in West Virginia that's been going on for over a year off and on. Off and on. Wow. And so I, I thought we thought that would be very important, especially if we get a chance to talk to your good friend, Mr. Joe Worthy, tomorrow, somebody who uh, seems to work in this sort of sphere of um, organizing unions and uh, walkouts and perhaps being a part of collective bargaining, that we might sort of talk about our connection to this, this issue. And so um, I sent you several pieces of information today, several sources, uh, several of them conservative, some of them liberal as well, just about sort of what the, it looks as if we've seen some themes come up in all of these different union sort of struggles. And uh, do you think it would be useful to lay some of those out? Because I, I can think of at least three that I would put on the table that are, that each one of these strikes has centered around. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's, I mean, I think that, as you say, it's very important to suggest the there's a coherence to the narrative, although it, it doesn't always emerge in each of the perspectives that people take on it, right? It emerges as you kind of look at the whole field of things and particularly when you factor in your, your own sort of stake in this. Um, as a teacher, I, I'm not in California and I'm not part of a teacher's union or, or, or anything like that here in Washington. I'm a substitute teacher, so I don't have a personal stake in it quite the same way, um, but I do, as someone who's worked in charter schools, um, feel like, you know, I, I want to see them given a fair chance and I want to see, you know, students given the opportunity to have an actual education, if that's, um, you know, possible within a school setting. I, I, I've seen it work, so I, I feel like it is, um, but I don't know that, um, I don't know that charter schools are getting uh, a really their side heard necessarily in a lot of the reporting. So that's, that's at least one of the themes that I was kind of hoping we could pick up on. But what else, what else do you see kind of emerging from all of these different stories? Well, I was going to start with just saying the demands, but I, let me just say a couple things about charter schools and charter schools in New York in particular and in California, and then a couple of comments in general about charter schools and then some of the demands these unions have been making because they, they seem to be identifying or spotlighting or pinpointing part of the problem for their, their decreasing test scores and lack of success and low pay and low uh, uh, so-called low pay because of course they make more money per year experience per, educational, per education than charter schools, which is true in every single state. Um, they also receive funding for their buildings that charter schools do not. 
Um, but just some facts about charter schools as well. Charter schools are about 10% of the schools in New York. I'm not sure what it is in California, but my charter school personally has been around for um, longer than charter schools have been legal in New York, which I believe is 20 years now since 1999. In New York, and just to sort of nip in the bud some of the statistics that people get wrong, um, over 80% of charter students are low income and 91% are African American or Hispanic. That's a figure from City Journal um, from their recent bit of audio called Charter Schools and Teacher Strikes, which came out um, two days ago. Um, and so part of what of the demands of the unions have been is, is that they want higher pay over the next two or three years. I, I think it's 12% that they demanded over three years in uh, New York. It's, I think, a little bit lower in West Virginia. It might have even been higher in the LA student, in, in the LA union strike. Oh yeah, in the Oakland one, they want more pay too. The second thing they're demanding is um, more money for resource staff, like special education teachers and counselors, and potentially these days security as well, um, support staff. Basically, they, they uh, you know, not, not to be polemic about it, but they essentially are trying to bloat the administration in the same way that the universities have. They seem to think that more resource personnel will, in, will then lead to more resources, which will then lead to better results with their students. But, but there's, there's a problem with that reasoning, which is actually they've received in New York over the last 10 years, and this is also true in LA, uh, we, I think we talked about that article very recently, that um, actually these schools are receiving, the public district schools are receiving more money per student than they were 10 years ago. And um, something like 20 out of 70 underperforming schools in New York um, still got closed. It, it might've even been, it might've even been in the reverse that 20, only 20 like met standards or something like this. These, these, uh, schools are receiving more resources. Their teachers, as their careers get longer, are making more and more money. There is a standardized um, structure by which a district teacher, at least in California, can um, go to a certain amount of professional developments and get a certain amount of continuing education credits, no matter what the quality of them are or the content, and um, steadily be moved up in pay scale. That's not the case at my particular charter school. I don't know if that's the case in any charter schools, because certainly they can't afford that. And so that sort of brings us to the last demand that I've seen in both New York, which does have a cap on their number of charter schools, which are outperforming their district schools. Um, and what New York's um, teachers union demanded is a moratorium, or, or rather to keep that hard cap on the charter schools, whereas the LA teachers union, as well as the Oakland one, and I'm not sure if West Virginia too, but it could be the case, uh, demanded a moratorium on charter schools. Uh, uh, the, uh, a, a desire to keep them from uh, continuing to proliferate because part of their claim is that, well, even though they've been receiving more money per student and if they only had more resource staff and if these charter schools were not bleeding um, them dry of their good students and of their good teachers, they would be doing better. And so they're trying to blame charter schools seemingly for everything. Just one thing I would note about the good teachers thing is that they obviously offer more money than charter schools. So just basic economics there would suggest that you would want to teach there. B, many schools in uh, California offer what's called tenure after two years, 
which is one of the reasons you can't fire bad teachers, which charter schools do not offer. Um, so you have more protection of your job. And C, you, you have entrance, of course, uh, into uh, a union. Um, though I luckily do not have to pay into one that I'm not a member of now because of the Janus decision we talked about recently. Um, but you also have more legal protections. Um, so you're sort of in the system. So uh, also, I would not have been able to get a job at a district school uh, in California without a preliminary credential. Um, so I couldn't have even gotten my foot in the door in the same way that I got my foot in the door in char at a charter school. I had a master's degree in what I was teaching, of course, but I had to get um, a temporary credential while I pursued my credential in my first years. So it, it's definitely not the case that uh, the charter schools are stealing all the talent. Uh, uh, the the so-called regular district schools have everything to offer, um, except for the success the charter schools have been seeing, which seems to be why, um, ev well, pe uh, underserved, uh, people who are traditionally underserved and people of color and um, everybody is choosing them. Right, yeah. There's like long waiting lists, you know, at successful charter schools and networks. Um, I think that in West Virginia, part of what just happened is that they were going to include in the bill that, you know, included the pay raise that teachers had wanted when they struck last year. Um, they were going to include something about um, opening some charter schools. Like, uh, I think that they might not even have any in West Virginia right now. And I think that that is actually what led the teachers there to strike again, and then they had that, that um, budget bill that was gonna include some funding for charter schools, uh, uh, you know, it didn't pass. So they're kind of back to square one. And if th this, this is like showing you, I think, you know, what is really the most important thing for these teachers? Is it the pay raise and um, maybe the, the certain amount of authority or, or prestige that goes with that? Um, is is it the you know solidarity with their students that um, they need to, uh, which I think the LA teachers really effectively put on display, or, or is it that they really want to retain a status quo of the kinds of schools that are obviously not functioning? You know, it seems like that is really what it comes down to: that the schools are not functioning for the students very well, but they're working great for teachers, right? Who um, seem to be very uh, have great job security. Um, they they got like you say you get you get tenure uh, for all that. Um, in in a lot of places there's very high uh, high teacher turnover. Even so, it's not necessarily that teachers are being weeded out because they aren't skilled. It's because they're in many cases leaving um, sort of impossible situations that they they're tired of of beating their head against the wall. Uh, with whether it be the administration, whether it be the uh, kind of curriculum that they're force feeding these kids, or you know, it's just there's so many kinds of um, disastrous consequences that are really obvious to anyone who walks into a school um, that are just not part of the conversation. I think in in the uh, discussions of, of the teachers union, you know, striking for higher pay and striking to prevent charter schools coming in. Um, they, the teachers, that is, the unions want to sort of align themselves with the students 
but when you look at what's actually going on, it seems clear that that's, that's really not their priority at all. And so you mentioned you're not part of a union, um, at least the main, you know, public school union. Is there any kind of union for your, your particular school or, or among charter schools there? Um, not to my knowledge. Um, I, I mean, I'm not an individual contractor. I do sign a W-2, not a 1099. So I am an employee of this particular institution. But because of that, and you know, this is something that I think should be noted too. Um, one thing I think charter school teachers who do universally make less money than their district fellows who work in districts similarly funded, or in, maybe not even similarly funded, frankly speaking, but who have the same level of experience and education, um, is that you know teachers can make more money. But one thing that's almost universally true of teachers, and this is a fact that uh, you'll be able to see on one of the links I'm going to post here, is that teachers have very robust healthcare packages, often um, worth up to something like $13,000 a year. And so um, that should be considered when one considers their sort of low pay, especially in Oakland. One of their major gripes was that they don't make as, even though competitively they make as much as other teachers, if you factor in cost of living, they don't. Um, it should also be factored back in how, you know, how robust and wonderful their, their healthcare is because healthcare really is uh, very good in California. Um, it's something that's uh, many of the, the employers pride themselves on. But no, I'm, I'm not personally part of a union. When I was younger in my career, I sort of wished I could be, but I think for careerist reasons rather than a desire to be, uh, you know, a champion of the students. I think, you know, I would have made some connections. I could have talked to people when positions opened up. It would have been easier to hear about them. I mean, it's a giant social network, right, if you have a local union. Um, and I'd have to look into, I'm surely there is like a San Diego, North County, South County union. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a member of it. And, you, you know, I, I think there's a big contrast now just in, you know, Oakland and L.A. And a lot of people are saying that, they're proud of these teachers showing their students how to affect change. And I have to say that that's not what I see in these. I don't see something that causes me pride, but rather, you know, disgust as an educator in the public sphere who makes less money than his fellows and has fewer protections and potentially will make less money after he retires because he will have made less, uh, less a year and thus my pension will have less money within it, um, and I have a lower cap at which I can never get to. Um, what, I, what I see is them leaving their jobs and their posts to demand more money with the basic misunderstanding of how economics works while also scapegoating uh, better teachers than they are, both morally and clearly skillfully from the results, charter schools, and uh, using their chil the, the children they're supposed to teach as leverage. That's what I see. Um, because I'm, I'm in my classroom. I'm teaching. I worked really hard today with mm, over 100 students, 50 of whom I had to work on introductory paragraphs to a five-paragraph essay on Dante using primary sources like Aristotle, Plato, Sophocles, Homer, and Virgil with. So I worked very hard today uh, and had an hour drive there and an hour drive back. And then I'm doing this for free as well. And that's what a charter school teacher is, I think. I had an 80-minute drive back home yesterday. Um, 
And so, you know, I'm not just hanging out with a bunch of my friends and demanding more money, um, which is which is what I see clearly happening here. I'm not saying that <laughs> they aren't deluded and think themselves doing right in a sort of a, a, Soc a Socratic way where they think they're doing good, but I do think they're either deluded or evil. So the, I think the issue there would be their, their motivations, right? And, and right. that's, right, because all of, all of what we're getting is from um, the, the kinds of arguments and the claims and the demands that are put out there. But underneath of that, it's, it's hard not to like suspect that there is a certain amount of um, like anger or fear towards charter schools, which are outperforming their um, public, you know, their public uh, institutions. Um, and I guess that the, the fact that that is not really articulated or um, addressed makes me suspect more strongly than ever that, 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 that it's there, you know, because it is so, I think one way that this comes out really clearly is like when claims are made that charter schools are funded by uh, billionaires, you know, um, right. coming in with, with lots of money that they throw at um, political campaigns for politicians who support charter schools. Um, and in what sense um, that is uh, critiqued well, what is the like? What is the logical argument there that um, billionaires, you know, want to make public education worse so that <laughs> the graduates come out less prepared to go to college and degrees, <laughs> and you know, like go and 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 can't so that they're not going to be like competitors against their business? Like, I don't, I don't see the argument. It just doesn't, it doesn't work for me um, even if you make it an ideological one it doesn't work because clearly what public education is becoming right now is an ideological machine um but from the other side because like we were talking in the pre-show a we don't see anybody you know a business plan or a business model is not a difficult thing to decipher and we don't you know I'm open to finding this information, but I don't think we've seen any information indicating that people are becoming wealthy while exploiting children, except for <laughs> potentially people who are already in public education and hold non-teacher posts, like uh, union like union officials or district administrators. Um, perhaps those are the people that should be considered, the people who are actually making lots of money rather than the charter school teachers who are making less money than their district counterparts with fewer protections and fewer resources. Um, uh, I mean, frankly speaking, our friend Sarah Miller was saying yesterday that there, you know, it might be in somebody's best interest for there to be antipathy between teachers, public uh, district and public charter. And sure, sure. But, but who, in whose interest would that be? Well, who is making money at this current moment? It's not the teachers. Um, the ones who are striking and the ones who are main, you know, continuing to do their jobs without striking, like me and you. Um, but, it, I mean, the state superintendent can make a six-figure salary, and he's probably not the only person. I mean, we could pull up very easily how much uh, the administrators within the school system in California make. And I guarantee it's a lot more than what I make, um, which you could see my salary schedule. Um, I'm pretty sure at, either at my school or online, you know, it's not very impressive. 
that, um, yeah, I think that the, you know, the administrative pay is a part of it, but I mean, that, that point that you make about teachers sort of pitted against one another across charter versus regular old public school lines, I think is really, really destructive. Like if you can't actually find out what it's like to teach in these schools and what, you know, what kinds of things um, you do and don't have as a charter school teacher, then it, it's, it's really difficult for a, a public school teacher to, um, you know, empathize or, or sort of like see what they're doing, what consequences it has on their fellow teachers, right? And, and on kids who are going to those charter schools, like if you just don't have good schools for kids and, and they, you know, even if in their argument, like those are sort of the top, the top students, which seems unlikely, but anyway, if they were, and then they were just sort of shunted back into public schools that are underperforming, I don't know that they would automatically like raise the level of those schools <laughs> or whether they would just, you know, see what the expectations were and, and fall to meet them. You know, it's it just, there's a lot more, I think that a dialogue that would need to happen between, you know, teachers at, at your school or other charter schools and teachers who are on strike up in Northern California. Right. And, you know, the argument that charter schools selectively take the best and the brightest, well, A, we don't take anybody. The students, the students make, and their parents make a choice. And given the statistics you see in very diverse um, um, New York with 81% of their students being underserved and 90% of their students being Hispanic and black, you're seeing that people who are traditionally underserved are making the choice to go to charter. And then you will see in the same article that these same students, Hispanic and black, that do poorly in these district schools have significantly higher state testing scores after they go to charter schools, which means that charter schools are the opposite of A, uh, just cherry picking, and B, racist institutions. Because we are getting, and this is also of course true in San Diego, uh, which is a very diverse place. Of course, California is a majority Hispanic state, not his not majority uh, white state, uh, just like um, New Mexico is these days, um, as of 2017. Um, but uh, I mean, our results are better, and we are more egalitarian. Uh, we do not just cherry pick the people. Uh, you know, we do the best with what we have with whoever comes through the door. And uh, at my personal school, we have a very we have a long list. We have a long lottery, but it is a lottery. It is by chance that people get in here. Um, and, you know, and there's some preference given to students, I think, who come from our elementary school, but they have to themselves get into that elementary school by lottery. And so, you know, it seems to be the case that you might want to give some idea to the idea that building a culture and getting people who are passionate about the job together uh, nets good results because perhaps we focus more on relationships with the students um, and perhaps we put more effort into truly teaching them because we, you know, every year we're, our necks are on the line as it were, like, because we cannot be hired back every other year. And maybe it's because we really care about what we're doing that, uh, you know, we transmit useful information to these students because it's not just we're not just teaching them ideology. We're teaching them that which is necessary to be successful on state's tests that will make them more successful at getting into increasingly expensive and rigorous and difficult colleges. 
Yeah, I think that the, I think that the students learning something from from their teachers as role models, um, that that is something that should probably be examined a little more closely in this discussion too, uh, because yeah, it, if what you're learning is um, that you will uh, sort of get what you want through in, intransigence and sort of taking the most drastic action at what seems like very little provocation, then that's a lesson that um, teachers might live to rue, right? When they get back in the classroom and, right. and try to go to discipline that student or something, uh, that kid suddenly has a, a new kind of weapon at their disposal, um, namely to, um, you know, stop working and, and strike, you know, and, and say that it's because they're, they're not being uh, respected or, or um, valued enough or, or what, what have you. I, I'm kind of interested to see, you know, there are a lot of student activists in secondary schools now. Primarily, it seems like around issues of uh, mental health and gun safety and things like that. But I, I'd be interested to see if, if a movement sort of develops of like, you know, protesting bad teaching or protesting <laughs> um, lack of choice if, if things do go that way and charter schools continue to be kind of uh, smothered, if kids eventually, and with their parents, you know, no doubt, would, would start to protest and say that they're, they're not being served. Um, that, that's actually the kind of organizing I'd be most curious about is, is what's going on among students, e even more than I'm curious what's going on among charter teachers. Um, well, that would be heartening and just that they would be seeming to care more about their education rather than to receive some sort of perceived benefit or resource, right? We've seen so much of that sort of, uh, that if, so, and here's the logic. If you identify yourself as having victim status, then you identify yourself as somebody who is capable of re receiving recompense for that status. Therefore, you want to be as victimized as possible to maximize your compensatory profit from that victim status. It's essentially an alternative path to working and producing something by means of skill. And in fact, people are sort of in an Aristotelian way, like he speaks of thieves, uh, turning it into a skill, though he, he would not agree that something that is by nature non-virtuous or neurotic, as the unions would call it, um, uh, that it that it could technically be a skill uh and plato of course makes the distinction between rhetoric and logic in that way that it's like cookery or 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 placing the difference between uh say uh putting makeup on your face to look skinnier and working out um yeah so just to give a very extended way of look looking at that thought um i it would harden me quite a bit to see students rather than demanding more things without understanding the basic economic realities of that they have the best things they can possibly have produced by the public because of the tax money that goes into um, that, that, you know, is derived from their local income or local property that rather they, that uh, produces the institutions of secondary learning for them, but to see them actually demanding a good education rather than benefits or, or less for more. Because we've seen a lot of that, and I even sent you an article right before this, that now schools are trying to ditch remedial uh, 
colleges are ditching remedial education courses because they're too hard for some of the students who are too unprepared to go to college. It's like, at what point do you, do you just understand that perhaps not everybody should be going to college and not everybody should be demanding to get everything, but people should be attempting to develop the necessary skills of life that will help them work in a labor force that is capitalist, not socialist, sorry, and that you need to have skills in order to produce something. That's like, that's an open question, it sounds like, um, at this stage is, uh, that article, I didn't read all of it, but I I mean, it does sound like people just don't know yet what the effect of of taking away uh, remedial courses will be. Clearly, there's professors who are aghast because this means kids in their classes who don't know how to do, for example, like the big example seems to be like basic math or something like that. Um, they're sort of now on the line to get those students to pass because their um, their job security as professors, uh, unless they've got tenure, which is a lot harder to get as a professor than as a public school teacher, unless right. they've got tenure, they're kind of on the line to have you know happy students to give them good reviews at the end of the semester, and and at the same time they have probably a much higher calling to their profession to say we're going to hold these kids to the same high standards that we have been entrusted with as members of this college or university, right? So that that notion that you can get rid of a remedial course and somehow have uh, extra tutoring or, or what other, whatever other services it might be, it seems like a very experimental thing at this stage in response to what is apparently a pretty big problem of um, students who are placed in remedial courses still not succeeding. So that that is a problem. Yeah. And whether it's a problem that is solved by getting rid of the remedial courses, by um, pushing them into classes and putting more pressure on the professors already, you know, trying to do whatever it is that they've been doing, uh, or whether it's something that you solve, I don't know, like you said, by by having a different track for kids who are not college ready. Um, well, that that's, I guess that's what we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, uh, you know, I think we've done some interesting work here. I have, I think, seven articles that we shared amongst each other, and we didn't have a chance, like typical teachers, to touch on everything. And some of the stats that uh, I was either unclear on or couldn't present perfectly, y'all will be able to look up, listeners, and you can, you know, you can make up your minds about this. And, you know, you can, just as you choose to listen to us, you can choose to see what you would like to. And that's sort of, I, I think, the point of this entire endeavor that you know, we consider it sort of our divine duty to provide more, you know, more, more choices to people. And we, you know, we let you all decide. And so, you know, we'll keep putting this information out there and um, hopefully it's helpful. Hopefully it's helpful. Um, and Wes, anything that we missed before we go and enjoy our Fridays? <laughs> I'm enjoying it already, man. I, I, yeah. um, I wanted to say at some point, um, just as a substitute teacher, I, I feel especially kind of icky about uh, strikes because if there were a strike in my district, I would still want to, you know, go to work and I potentially would still be able to get to work. And um, you see that sometimes mentioned in these articles and reports. Right. I did. I did. I should have asked you about that. I'm sorry. I did see that like the substitute force gets played. It's a sub- It's a topic for another day maybe, but you know, 
I don't want to be a scab. I don't want to be a strike breaker. But on the other hand, I get paid by the day, uh, by the right. hour, you know, that I'm there uh, working. Where, whereas teachers who have salaries, they're getting paid whether they're in there or not. Um, yes. And, you know, great for them, I guess. <laughs> like, and uh, yeah, well, I think that in general, I'm just very interested in, in alternative modes of communication and education is part of that. And I, I do hope that these are reaching people who are, who are interested in that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks I think again. it'd be really interesting to talk to talk to somebody from Oakland, West Virginia, New York, maybe even reach out to um, one of these guys that wrote this article. Let me see what his name was again. Ray Domenico. He might be a little big for us at this moment, but might, you know, we've been surprised at some of the people we've gotten to talk to us. And well, the more people we talk to, you know, hopefully the more avenues open up. Right on. Yeah. Well, we can reach out to him and maybe some of the other uh, writers and, and people in this kind of this area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for talking. I, I too have been enjoying my Friday. You definitely woke me up after my long drive home. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad with, that we tackled this today. Very close, you know, very close to the heart. Um, yeah. this, this, this issue uh, across several dimensions, you being a substitute teacher and a former charter school teacher. Um, you know, and me being a charter school teacher now, it's like, you know, if we're the problem, we'd like to know it and we can fix ourselves, but it might not be the case that we totally are. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Take care. See ya. Take care.